Today, May 40 here. I was walking around downtown Los Angeles today, and does it really matter that I want to be treated as an individual? This homeless guy, Latino homeless dude, he just starts screaming at me that the Jews, the Jews control all the gold. All right, they're just... Uh, He's just going at me, and then something about George W. Bush, and he had all these problems with with Jews, and because I I wear a yarmulke, when I'm out and about in public, all right, someone's got a problem with Jews, and they're far more likely to speak up to me, step up to me, and so a lot of turmoil going on in Israel. Israel seemingly about to go to war with much of the Palestinian world, and so when the Jewish state is at war, when the Jewish state does controversial things, then those who identify as Jewish all right, are going to cop it, particularly those visibly identifying as Jewish. And so we may think, hey, I'm an individual, right? Don't, uh, don't judge me by my group, right? I'm not Israel's ambassador. Like, how, how can you hold me accountable for what Israel is doing? But the facts on the ground are that, except for people who know us intimately, we will primarily be judged as members of a group, whether we're white, Jewish, Seventh-day Adventist, black, gay, trans, Asian, Japanese, right? We're going to primarily be judged as members of a group, right? Because it just saves on thinking and making judgments. People just make snap judgments. People just see the color of somebody and they make snap judgments about intelligence and likely to commit some kind of you know violent criminal act and that's just the way the world works so we may want to be treated as individuals and it's nice when we form intimate bonds with people yeah they're going to be much more likely to treat us as individuals but out in the real world people treat you as a member of a group and so anglos you know the anglosphere england australia united states they have all this rhetoric about it's the individual that matters, right? You have to treat people as individuals. But when rhetoric and reality collide, reality is going to win. And the reality is that we are seen primarily as representatives of groups. And it's only on, you know, certain occasions. Oh certain occasions where we'll get to be treated as individuals. But we all represent something to the world. So if you behave badly as a Jew, that will increase the odds that uh, other people will think negatively of Jews. If you behave badly as an Arab, as a homosexual, as a Christian, as a black, as a Latino, right, that's going to increase the odds that your people are going to be judged negatively by outsiders. And if your people are engaging in a lot of crime or in a lot of you know, bad behavior or your nation is going to war, then you as a representative, right, if you're a visible representative of a particular people, you're going to cop it. You're going to pay the price. So when Israel's in the news, you know, a lot of Jews will tone down their visible identification with Israel because they walk down the street and they just get sick of hearing about it. We may think, oh, you got to treat people as individuals. No, we can't. We can't publish corporately. We just have to, you know, just publish the individual wrongdoer. But the reality is that 
you know, groups are the dominant force in this world. It is people, it is tribes who move the world. It's not primarily individuals, right? Structure over individuals, tribes over individuals, groups over individuals, nations over individuals, nation states have much more influence than individuals. So yeah, I was hanging out in the People's Park in a very gray, overcast and, and rainy Los Angeles. Makes me makes me miss a little bit. Uh, bright, sunny, warm, safe city. Here I am. I'm back. Luke looks like one of the robbers from Reservoir Dogs now. Well, yeah, I was in downtown to to pull a job, mate. But let's just keep that between between us. Yeah, People's Park in the People's Republic of California. Okay, what do we have here? We got Heather McDonald talking with Ann Coulter. Video. I have the great Heather McDonald here today. There's no one I want to talk to more well every day of the week, but particularly after a police-involved killing, which we have in in Memphis. Heather knows more about the police. Um, and the statistics on police and police involved killings and diversity on police forces than anyone in the world. So welcome, Heather McDonald. Well, thank you. I hope I live up to that introduction. Thank you for having me on. Um, so did you see the tape? We're talking about the Memphis. Um, obviously, I, I, I had- a, I read um, Nichols, yeah. It's, it's absolutely shocking. It's a complete breakdown of any sort of reasonable police tactics. These officers are out of control. They are not coordinated. Uh, they don't appear to have had any police training in their lives. The thing that, uh, I don't know if you saw it live as it was coming out, I think they finally released it at 7 p.m. last night, and I think they kind of oversold it, at least for the first 45 minutes, because you got a lot of that body cam video where um, Tia Ray is fighting with the police and then running away, and they're sort of hopped up, and then they have to search for him, and it goes on and on and on, and it really is the last, like, four minutes from the poll cameras, where it does it does look like, um, you know, an inner city beatdown, or or a fight at Wendy's, um, but it does not look like police making an arrest. But it's only about that last four minutes, or did, did you think it was worse than that? Well, I thought the first, it's either the first or the second tranche of video uh, where they all do seem to be trying to beat him and uh, some are beating him, some are tasing him and there's no coordination among them. That, that to me was the most chilling. And, yes. and you do have a sense of the terror of, of state power. Uh, these are representatives of the state that at this point have absolute control, power over this man and are clearly abusing it. Uh, so I... I actually found the, the early videos to be the most disturbing. Well, it doesn't seem, um, I mean, before it came out, I was figuring this is, this is either, um, you know, Breonna Taylor, where we're really not being told the truth until, you know, months later, we finally get the truth or Ramparts. Obviously there's a lot of chat about how all of the officers involved were black. Um, and I know you've written about a lot and John Lott has done some studies on the diversity hiring practices. Mm -hmm. Um, that, I mean, Ramparts, which training day was based on, amazingly, they didn't switch the races of who the cops were. And I think Denzel Washington won an Oscar for it. That was a great movie. Um, but that was that was the LA PD deciding we have to hire more members of the community and basically just hiring Crips and Bloods. It certainly doesn't seem that bad, but I gather um, <laughs> you know quite a bit of detail on when you start forcing diversity hires, you're going to have to, well, drop requirements and apparently it looks like drop training. That's absolutely right. And the uh, frenzied push to diversify his gone even worse after George Floyd. I don't know when these officers were hired, but as you say, uh, police departments have been cat jettisoning both academic qualifications and skills and background police background checks for criminal records in order to widen the recruitment pool to try and make uh, more Blacks and Hispanics potentially. Here is my, my bias, my greatest fear. 
right? Let's just lay out cards on the table. My greatest fear is disorder. My greatest fear is chaos. My greatest fear is anarchy. So I don't like police misbehavior. I don't like abuse of authority. But my greatest fear is anarchy, the elimination of authority. I want hierarchy. I want authority. My greatest fear is things just spinning out of control. ...qualifiable for, for recruiting, and that's absolutely a recipe for disaster. It does matter. Somebody's cognitive skills do matter in their ability to follow what can be extraordinarily complicated search and, search and uh, you know, arrest procedures, as we both of us remember from criminal procedure of how you, whether you can search a, a paint can in a trunk, you know, what, what depends, what's probable cause for that or reasonable suspicion. Uh, and, and also uh, just other, other aspects, criminal background check. You know, I, I remember after the terrible Amadou Diallo shooting in the Soundview section of the Bronx in 1999, this was the 41 shots of the officers from the uh, street crime unit that, that shot the Ghanaian immigrant 41 times, mistaking his cell phone for a gun. Uh, a commander formerly from the 43rd precinct said that one difference with younger recruits, and I'm going to be very honest here and, and translate that as uh, diverse recruits, is that they don't have the same ethic that when you become a police officer, you you start a new life. You cut your ties with your high school cronies. Uh, mm -hmm. if, if they were at all criminally involved and that a lot of uh, probably very well-meaning black and Hispanic young recruits aren't doing that. And so they still are socializing with their former associates. Yeah. You are reflected by the people that you hang out with, right? They, they reflect on you, your choices, they influence you. And if you hang out with a bad crowd, you probably shouldn't be in law enforcement. Uh, and, and that may be potentially compromising. So, you know, what we know from the empirical studies that have come out is mm -hmm. that there really is practically no advantage if, and, and really a disadvantage to race-based hiring. The Obama Justice Department did a study of the Philadelphia Police Department and found that Black and Hispanic officers were more likely to shoot Black suspects because of threat misperception, which is the professional term for mistaking a cell phone, say, for a gun or a can of Coke mm -hmm. for a gun more likely than white officers to uh, engage in those types of tragic mistakes. Uh, there was a study done that found that contrary to the idea that the more blacks in a police force, the less uh, violence against blacks. In fact, the more blacks in a police force, the more violence against blacks yes. until the authors found you reached what they defined as a critical mass, which was apparently 42%. When you, when you were up to 42%, they hypothesized that then the positive correlation reverses. However, they actually admitted that there wasn't enough data points for that to be at all statistically reliable. Um, yes, so I remember the comparison between Washington, D.C. police force and New York police force when Bill Clinton was investigating Giuliani's police force. Coincidentally, his wife was going to be believed to be running against Giuliani <laughs> for, for Senate the next next year. Um, turns out Giuliani didn't run. But there was a ridiculous civil rights um, investigation of the New York City police as Giuliani was bringing crime down. And I, re I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but it was really stark how many civilians were shot by a, a very heavily black police force in Washington, D.C. versus New York City. And you know, if you take away your um, what you're describing, which is lowering requirements, um, changing what <laughs> I mean, the physical requirements, that's how they get the, the girl cops in yeah. and the no. I mean, you couldn't even have a drunk driving arrest and be a cop 20, 30, I don't know, 40 years ago. You couldn't have anything on your record if you were going to be a cop. And as you say, I didn't know this, um, staying away from from your old neighborhood friends. Um, if you got rid of all that. Right. You can't get into Australia with a drunk driving conviction. Right, you can't get into Australia with, you know, domestic violence conviction. So, 
I'm curious, what, what should have higher standards, being after travel and visit Australia or being a law enforcement officer with a gun? I'm not a big fan of this lowering of standards in the name of affirmative action. I want competent doctors, competent police, competent air traffic controllers, competent pilots. What I think is interesting and probably true is that on the fats machines where cops train um, and they'll have like a phony scenario, or not a phony scenario, but make believe like Walt Disneyland and they have a scenario where a cop is entering, say, a, a bank robbery or a home where there's domestic violence and they're using laser beams, not not real and you see how quickly the cop shoots, whether he shoots any civilians, the poor lady, you know, going to the bank teller or does he get the bad guy. And the interesting thing was that black cops in the fats machine training were much quicker to shoot a black perp. Um, and I think if you took away the. Yeah, IQ really matters. I mean, janitors with a higher IQ do better work. Gardeners with a higher IQ do better work. Accountants, teachers, nurses, police, doctors, air traffic controllers, people consistently perform their jobs more competently at higher IQ levels. Diversity requirements and, and the black cops were, were, were equally qualified to the white cops at that level. Probably the black cops would be shooting at the appropriate time and enough time. But you have white cops, um, and, and some of them have said this, who are thinking in that split second where they think a gun is being pointed at them, if I'm wrong, I will destroy my life, my family's life, um, this police force. So probably you have white cops hesitating too much. Well, that's right. Lois James did find that in her simulation studies in um, Washington State. And generally, I'm not I'm not aware of the studies you're referring to with black cops showing differently. Generally, what these simulation studies show is that uh, officers are pretty damn accurate in making shoot don't shoot decisions. Uh, they do take they sort of take longer in looking at uh, a black suspect, but they're accurate. The people who are not accurate is the civilians who are going along, you know, dictating uh, what officers should do. The, these you know they set them up a bunch of Stanford undergraduates and put them in a, a shoot, don't shoot simulator. And they're just blasting away at black suspects all the time. Officers are not, you know, they're, they're trained to be much more sensitive to locational cues and, and behavioral cues. Uh, so, so this whole canard, I know the one thing that would be good if it came, that came out of this incident would be if we could deracialize the discourse around policing. Uh, and, yes. and if you didn't look too closely, you'd think that was happening because of course the race of these black officers tends to be shoved down to the third or fourth or fifth paragraph in any given story, but we still have the race of the of the victim uh, way up, up close and just talk about police tactics. But of course, we know that's not going to happen. Uh, as soon as there's a white cop involved, that will once again be the first thing out of any news reporter or Biden's mouth. And it's still, right. you know, Biden is still racializing this in a, in a just absolutely grotesque and, and profoundly irresponsible way, which will only increase black alienation uh, and uh, lead to more resistance of arrest, which is Ah, also, there are many downsides if you want to continually try to blame whitey for everything that goes wrong in America. More and more white people will simply refuse to take any blame and start looking at the world through a much more tribal and racial lens. It's like if a friend blames you for something for which you're not responsible, you are distanced from that friend. And if your friend keeps blaming you for things that you're not responsible for, uh, that's going to end the friendship. If your your parent or your boss or your co-workers start blaming you for things that you didn't do, right? you're going to start tuning them out. So if you keep blaming Whitey for all sorts of problems that are not necessarily Whitey's fault, Whitey will increasingly tune out those voices, increasingly try to create a, a white utopia for himself and for his descendants and have you know less investment in the wider society and to now even valid criticism.
right? Everybody benefits from accurate, valid criticism. But if you pile on a whole bunch of inaccurate, invalid criticism, then people are going to be much less likely to listen to any valid criticism that you have. Like take Laponius, all right? My good friend Laponius here. He is always very careful. He's always very thoughtful when when he you know gives me something corrective. And so because he's so subtle, because he's so careful with his judgments, he's so tempered with his words, right? I'm able to listen and, and take in his very thoughtful criticisms. Now, on the other hand, there, there are some people who come into the chat and they're just like over the top with their criticisms. And it then, you know, makes it harder for me to listen to when they have something accurate to blame. How can I become racialized? Bro, the, the, the goal is to become colorblind. We try to create a, a beautiful, a beautiful multi-ethnic, multicultural, you know, fruit salad society here. Like we're, we're here to, we're here to transcend race. Who do I blame for loneliness? Loneliness is the result of certain neural pathways in your brain that essentially come back good enough to connect with people. They probably wouldn't want to talk to me anyway. And as someone who has struggled with this most of my life, right? It's, and someone set me up with uh, Miss World. Who was the Miss World who was in Mulholland Drive? Uh, Laura. And, and when I was set up with Laura Haring, okay, so when I, I was set up with Miss World, I felt unworthy. Now, when I was set up with Kendra Jade or Haley Rivers or Kit Natividad, I, I didn't feel unworthy. But when I was set up with Miss World, like my insecurity came in. It's like, oh, I'm not worthy to date a, a Miss World. Like, what could she ever possibly see in me? This is a beautiful star of Mulholland Drive. Like, who am I to take her out and share a good time? And I was set up with her, but my low self-esteem, bros, my low self-esteem, you know, interfered. And I could have exposed her to the glories of Orthodox Judaism. You know, we might have made beautiful babies together, but my low self-esteem. So... The same friend like set me up with, you know, various other like gorgeous women. And I was like, oh, no, you know, I could never date, you know, someone that gorgeous. So it, it kind of got, I don't know, the way I operated was that, you know, any woman who is more beautiful than, say, a seven and a half, possibly an eight, like anyone over an eight, I was just not worthy of. And so when you have that kind of imprinting, when when you've learned usually from having the heck beaten out of you by parents or caregivers or other people when you're a kid it's hard to come to understand that you you know do bring things to the table and that you are worthy of approaching that woman or even you know starting up conversations with with blokes at, at synagogue or people who are successful and it's it still hits me at times you know it's still ah oh, i'm not worthy to initiate here or initiate there and so I have to calm down. And one who's got kind of loneliness written into their DNA, one has to calm down, reduce, you know, those frightened, excitable parts of your thinking and your endocrine system and realize that, hey, I'm good enough. I'm fun enough. And gosh, how do people like me? No, it's, it's deeper than that. One has to 
realize that uh, you're not responsible for your for your inner addict, right? You never chose to be a sex addict or a drug addict or an alcoholic, so you don't have to beat yourself down for that. You didn't choose to be a video game addict or to be an incel or a loner, right? You didn't choose these compulsions or addictions, whatever your word is, and so therefore you don't have to beat yourself up for having them, and you can start to reprogram your responses to stimuli so that when you see something you want, you no longer run away from it. So I remember when I was a kid, and I was, it was a hot day. I was at a swimming pool, a, a swimming hole with, with my friend at Dora Creek in Kurumbong, New South Wales. And this uh, female stranger offered us ice creams. And I said, no. I mean, I really wanted an ice cream. But, you know, part of me just didn't feel worthy. And I, I pretty much got my entire life. I've never, you know, until recently, like last few years, never once asked for a raise. And... When, when opportunities have fallen in my lap, I said, oh, no, you know, I'm not worthy of that. So until one reprograms oneself, you know, past all this self-hatred and self-loathing and learns to become a good friend to yourself, right, then when you have ease with yourself, you're much more likely to be at ease with other people and the loneliness will start to dissipate. Let's have a look at the chat. It's funny how loneliness dissipates after one passes one's sexual pride. Well, loneliness dissipates because as you get older, you become more at ease with yourself. And the more at ease you are with yourself, the more at ease you'll be with other people. Yes, you're a Stuart Smalley, Saturday Night Live character. I get it. Yeah. The mayor can't figure out what to do with them. First, he stuck them in the Bronx, but then the residents got really upset. This is, you know, this is kind of shocking. I'm concerned with my safety. There's a park right over there. Kids go to play in that park. So that worries me. Why would they do this? Why not house them elsewhere? They take our money and they do whatever they want with it. So much money and help is being put out there for other people that are coming into this country, but not much is being put into the people that live in this country. And then the mayor built a shelter on an island and stuck them there. He gave them Xboxes and popcorn machines and fluff and fold laundry service, even culturally appropriate snacks. Mm. Also be snacks that are provided, coffee, tea, water, 24 hours a day. Um, and those meals are all culturally appropriate. It is uh, South American fare. But that wasn't good enough. So the mayor put them up in hotels. And then the migrants trashed the rooms. They drank all day, smoked weed, had sex in the staircase, got in fights. And then the migrants tossed all the free food in the garbage and set up makeshift kitchens in their rooms, even though their hot plates were fire hazards. They wanted more culturally appropriate snacks. We're cooking for them now. I thought they were here to cook for us. Isn't that what the San Antonio sheriff said? If you go to any restaurant in San Antonio, Texas right now, you're going to wait a long time to get your table, even though there's empty tables because there's not enough wait staff to wait on you. They're, you're going to wait a long time for your food because there's not enough people to, to cook it in the back. Half the cooks maybe aren't, aren't showing up to work or they've quit. Hire these folks. The only place that's a bigger mess in these hotel rooms is the border. Look at this video from Texas. Troopers spotted a group of illegals bailing out of a smuggler's pickup truck. Watch. 23. They're bailing. They're bailing. Mega. 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 
And the smuggler hit the gas, hit about 110 miles an hour, and then went off the road. Uh, we'll be out. Good spot. Uh, 10.50 rollover. Get on the ground! Get down! Let me see your hand! Manos! Manos! Baby, that is a trap! That is a trap! You got a pistol? You got a pistol? Yeah, the police found a handgun on the smuggler after the arrest. They just made it a little farther north. They would have gotten their culturally appropriate meals. And in Mission, Texas, Border Patrol found a group of illegals disguised as cyclists biking around the border. (laughs) What's going on here? Did the migrants not realize there's an app? You might have heard about Biden's app for illegals. It lets them make a reservation for when they want to break into the country. Let's check in with how that's going. New appointments are available every day, starting at 6 a.m. But the vast amount of people trying to apply is overwhelming the system. Many aren't able to log in, while some who do say the app crashes before they're able to confirm their appointment. Some complainants say, but I don't even have a cell phone. Sadly, they do need a cell phone and email to communicate. So it's busted. The app crashes all the time and there's no open appointments. It's easier just to walk through the border. Oh, and apparently Biden's app for illegals is racist. If you're dark-skinned and submit a photo of yourself, you get an error message. Critics say the app has issues detecting the photos some applicants use. Personas. Problems with people of African descent having difficulty taking the photo. The app is not recognizing the photos of these people. So we have Africans coming now. What's the root cause of that, Kamala? I thought this was all about Central America. Not the entire world flying to Mexico to break in. So where is our borders are? She needs to shut down this broken racist app right now. Treat it like Mayor Pete treats racist bridges. But she's too busy fighting for her political life. Even Democrats are turning on Kamala. Pocahontas doesn't think it's time for a new VP. If he's that old in a second term, the vice presidency becomes even more important. Should Kamala Harris be his choice the second time around? You know, I, I really want to defer to what makes Biden comfortable on his team. I've known Kamala for a long time. I like Kamala. I knew her back when she was when she was an attorney general and I was still uh, uh, teaching and we worked on the housing crisis together. So we go way back, but they need they have to be a team. Kamala and I go way back, but Biden should get rid of her. An incumbent president hasn't dumped their VP since the 1940s when FDR His fourth term dumped. Oh, who cares? And Pocahontas is ready to toss out Kamala. What's going on here? Let's bring in Louisiana Senator John Kennedy. What is going on here, Senator? Uh, Let's not bring in a politician. Let's go back to the very smart Heather McDonald. I remember my late friend Kathy Seip would talk about listening to Heather McDonald. It's like watching a very fast no Ferrari or, or Corvette just zipping through traffic. By and large, you know, it's hard to say what's going here on here. It looks to me like they have escalated their force out of the gate, but we don't know, you know, one has to say there are still things we don't know. We don't know what triggered this early report said he was driving the wrong way down a street. That's, that's been disappeared down the memory hole. Oh, that's what not was- true. 
Well, it's never talked about now. Uh, you know, there's sort of, they're, they're, I've seen news reports. Look, if you're resisting arrest, I really don't care what the cops do to you. Chat says, yeah, we should hire people with hepatitis to cook our food. How does one squint, gobble, and self-lobotomize to like Kamala must involve mind-ordering drugs and brain surgery? Is more from Heather talking to Ann Coulter. We're saying we don't know what's going on, but that may well be going on. What's the degree of drugs in the system? We still don't have the official autopsy. Uh, we just have the, the the family's autopsy. We don't know if if drugs were involved and if these blows were the cause of death, or it may be something much more complicated. Um, but you know, by and large, uh, I forget what my original point was here, but uh, we we should be deracializing this, and and we're not going to do that. It'll it will be. What did Biden say? Oh, Biden, his first. His first set of comments was the usual, uh, the criminal justice denies fair and equal treatment implicitly to blacks and brought up racial disparities in use of force. Then after the video came out, he, he brought out his and Obama's favorite meme about uh, the, the trauma that blacks face every day implicitly from the police. Well, of course they do face trauma every day, but it's not from the cops, it's from black criminals. Uh, the, the degree yes. of, of uh, disparity in, in victimization rates is just huge. I mean, blacks between the ages of 10 and 24 die of gun homicide at 25 times the rate of whites between the ages of 10 and 24. That is just a, a disparity that is off the charts. Yes. And it, it rose between 2020 and 2021 as the depolicing, the George Floyd riot induced depolicing accelerated. Uh, and yes. of course, Benjamin Crump has never talked about that. Al Sharpton has never talked about that. But that is the disparity that we should all be talking about. The, you could take police shootings and, and officer involved killings of blacks out of the equation entirely. And it would have no effect on uh, black death by homicide rate. They are being killed by other blacks, not by the police, not by the white, not by whites, but nobody wants to talk about that, of course. And I, you know, I don't need to tell you this, but it's, it's absolutely standard uh, truth about the way we talk about policing in this country. And isn't it, I, I, one of the most surprising statistics to me um, is that of, of people shot and killed by police every year, blacks have the fewest as a percentage of the, their population. Well, yes, if you look at homicide victims. I don't know if this is statistically accurate, but as as someone who's been writing uh, public transport a lot the last few months, it does seem to me that the the two groups with the highest percentage of wearing face masks are at number one, Asians, but number two, Blacks. Right. They seem to wear face masks at a higher rate than Latinos and white people. So it looks like overall, you know, blacks did a pretty good, pretty responsible job at, you know, restricting the, the flow of COVID in their communities. So a lot of people treat minority groups as though they have no agency, they have no ability to change, they're simply acted upon, they, they never act. Well, uh, Latinos, for example, dramatically reduced their, their crime rates in the United States from the 1970s to the present. Uh, blacks did a really good job of reducing COVID transmission by perhaps it was doing things like wearing face masks. So, yeah, even sacred groups from, from the woke perspective, all right, they can respond to incentives. They can you know, increase the social responsibility that they practice. No, I mean shot by police. Well, there's about a thousand, yeah, I'm, I'm going to make that point, but okay, there's a thousand, about a thousand victims of fatal police shootings each year. Mm-hmm. And that's been remarkably stable since the Washington Post began compiling its database of, 
of fatal police shootings, about 50% of all those victims are white each year and about 25% are black. So about 500 white victims, about 250 black victims. Um, and most of those, both white and black, are, are violent or resisting arrest or are causing the officer to fear that his or a, a civilian's life is in danger. Mm -hmm. um, it is the case. Yeah, you put pressure on someone verbally, physically, uh, emotionally, spiritually, uh, physically, like, you know, shove a weapon or a knife at someone, they're going to react negatively, right? I remember my therapist would talk to me about this. You really want to have the most difficult conversations when the heat level between you is relatively low. It's, it's very hard to have a, a sane thoughtful conversation when you're both, you know, at 10 out of 10 in intensity, you really want to have difficult conversations when you're each at like a two out of 10. That's why when, when couples are stuck in some very intense argument, all right, the, uh, the conventional advice from therapists is, you know, separate, wait till you can get your emotions under control and then come back. And so when police are threatened, right, verbally and particularly physically with guns and knives, Right, that's when they're going to be the most likely to lash out. Smart suit, Luke, uh, special occasion, had a, had a job to do in, in downtown Los Angeles. And I'd like you to know that this very smart suit, I, I bought it for $85 on Amazon. I mean, this is, this is some quality suit. Let me see if I can find the details for you. That on a population basis, blacks are uh, shot at a higher rate, about two times, 2.5 times the rate of whites. But population benchmark is always the wrong benchmark. But the, You're right, the, proper I said that. Benchmark, the proper benchmark in analyzing any kind of police activity is crime rates, mm -hmm. because it's crime that predicts whether officers are interacting in various communities. And when you take violent crime rates into account, that 2 to 2.5 disparity flips entirely, as James Cesario has found. Mr. Cesario, who retracted his 2020 or 2019 study of policing when I cited it in the Wall Street Journal after George Floyd, uh, and he found that the, the ratio flips completely and so whites were 2.5 times more likely to be shot by the police than blacks. Fortunately, or for me, unfortunately for Mr. Cesario, he failed to retract his 2018 study of fatal police shootings, which reached the identical conclusion. Um, and other studies, you know, Roland Fryer at Harvard, uh, the Center for Policing Equity also found that there is simply no pattern of racial bias in police shootings. Again, if anything, it, it works in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, does the diversity... Like I say, from what I can see from the tapes, it seems like the bad part comes at the very end after they've been chasing this guy. Let's assume they had a reason to pull him over. He was driving the wrong way um, for, for sake of argument. He runs away, resists the police, fights with him. They catch up with him. Um, okay, so far, if, if that's true, um, okay, you can't really fault the police. They got to chase the guy. You don't have a right to run from the police when they stop you or to disobey them or to fight with them. Um, but then, like I say, that poll camera video, th that just looks like a street fight. Um, does the diversity mechanism, I assume the answer is yes. It's not just in the hiring. I assume all the way through the promotion, the being able to get on, on this Viper group or whatever it's called, the, the being promoted well to police chief, that sort of thing. I assume this diversity just keeps working because it seems to me they, these guys, maybe I'm wrong, but they don't seem like the Crips and the Bloods ramparts cops, but it does seem like a really bad training and really bad behavior. How come we don't have the dash cam footage of the actual stop? The video starts when the last cop arrives on the scene and they yank Nichols straight out of the car, which last time I checked isn't how cops are supposed to approach a dangerous suspect in a vehicle. So what happened before then? We don't even know why Nichols was pulled over in the first place. They just say he was driving recklessly. What does that mean? 
Why didn't they release the dash cam that shows Tyree driving recklessly? How come we don't have body cam video from the first cop who pulled Nichols over walking up to his car? What happened? What did they say to each other? Why did that cop call for backup? We have no idea, but something doesn't sit right here. If you're going to release the footage, release the footage, all of it. Because when you tell everybody you're being transparent and then keep certain things under wraps, it makes people think like you're hiding something. Maybe they are. And while protesters took to the streets this weekend, Democrats are exploiting the moment to push new laws out of Washington. Banning chokeholds, dealing with uh, no warrant uh, searches, uh, dealing with accreditation of police departments. It's necessary that we do all these things, but not sufficient. Typical Washington politician. The Memphis police didn't use a single chokehold that entire time. But Democrats want to ban them. A chokehold done properly would have subdued Tyree and had him handcuffed. But you can't even have a conversation about reform with Democrats because they won't negotiate with terrorists. Who are the terrorists? Well, Republicans. I don't have any really hope, great hopes uh, for the fact that we're going to be able to pass police reform. It is racism. In its purest form, we've got to stay out there. We've got to protest. We've got to challenge them. I think, you know, the average American person uh, can see what is going on. It's happiness, doesn't she? I mean, whenever I see Maxine Waters, hear Maxine Waters, just the the joy of living just emanates from her. Just uh, the happiness, the the gratitude to be living in the United States and to have the good things, the power and the money that she's been able to accumulate. Have you ever met anyone who more radiates happiness and joy and serenity than Maxine Waters? Uh, We have these right wing conservatives who are, you know, we have domestic terrorists in the House of Representatives. These people are extremists. And so I'm not optimistic that that's the way it's going to happen. So Maxine Waters, no relation, can't get anything done in Congress. And Whoopi Goldberg thinks the only way we're going to change anything is for police to beat white guys to death. It is a problem in the police and the policing itself. Do we need to see white people also get beaten before anybody will do anything? I'm not suggesting that. So don't write us and tell me what a, you know, what a racist I am. I'm just asking, is that... Is that what people have to see in order to wake up and realize this affects us all? And so Whoopi thinks the Holocaust had nothing to do with race. But five black cops beating a black man to death has everything to do with race. This type of cop-hating atmosphere has created a really bad environment for officers, which makes it really hard for the good guys to do their job. For years, the left's created an environment where police are the enemy. And it's led to loads of them retiring and budgets being slashed. And when that happens, it means police departments might have to lower the bar when hiring people and some bad apples could slip through the cracks. Sometimes lowering the bar means hiring people who don't have a good education or hiring a guy who can't meet the physical requirements or hiring Demetrius Haley. He was one of the officers charged in Tyree Nichols' death. When he was a prison guard, he allegedly beat the hell out of an inmate. Memphis PD hired him anyway. Memphis PD has had to lower their hiring standards multiple times over the years. And even today, they're short 500 officers. Maybe that's why Tyree Nichols is dead. No supervisors, poor training, low standards. 
Michael Schellenberg is a journalist and co-publisher of Public on Substack. Okay, some good stuff there from Jesse Waters at Fox News. Let's go back to Ann Corder talking to Heather McDonald. Right, right, and we can find out again whether it starts at the, to me it looks like it starts at the beginning or at the end, but it is just very, very bad behavior. And the taxes, I mean, they're all doing, they're working at cross purposes. One guy says, show me your hands. The other doesn't, you know, that puts the hands down, tasing, kicking. I, I, I see kicks that are just completely sadistic. Um, mm-hmm. But you're absolutely right, Anne. The the racial preferences actually get worse. There was a study done in, of the NYPD that showed that for any position that involved discretion that was not controlled by civil service exam results, mm-hmm. but if there were discretionary, discretionary promotions, blacks were way way pref- preferred. Now these guys, I don't think there was a supervisor on on scene. I assume they're all officers. The Police force uh, in Memphis, I think, is at least 50%. The Memphis population is about 62% black. Uh, mm-hmm. So I don't know if they were preferentially chosen to be on this violent crime task force. But, you know, what's sad, probably there's going to be another huge overcorrection where they will probably disband this Scorpion unit, uh, yes. which, unless we know more, and it, it is possible that the Memphis Police Department is absolutely uh, primitive in its training. But unless we know more, that would be a, an unnecessary overreaction to this. Uh, what's needed is more training. And of course, what Biden is now... So what we don't know is how many lives has this Scorpion unit saved? I mean, a, a unit does one horrible thing. You don't necessarily disband the unit, right? You have to judge individuals. You have to judge groups collectively, right? You can't just take you know, one individual action. So for all we know, this Scorpion unit has saved dozens of lives. For all we know, the Scorpion's u- unit has cost dozens of lives. You'd think that would be what we're looking at and talking about. Promoting is, once again, the George Floyd Reform Act, which is all about ending qualified immunity and uh, chokeholds. No, no, no. None of that prevents this. It is not qualified immunity, which is responsible here. What is responsible is an apparent failure of basic training. Uh, Officers are desperate for more training. I know cops in Chicago who pay for their own training. They want more training in tactics. They want more training in de-escalation. Stress is a huge aspect. You can feel here these officers are way pumped up. They're also way out of shape. They're breathing heavily. Uh, They need training in how to control their stress levels so they don't overreact. That would help if I know I don't believe in federal funding for anything because it's all just a shell game. Federal mm-hmm. dollars are not free dollars. They're just dollars that have been taken from the same overtaxed citizens sent to Washington, laundered a bit, you know, cuts taken out in bureaucracy, then sent back to the same localities uh, minus, you know, probably 25 percent in administrative fees. Just keep the money at local and spend it. But if we're going to spend federal dollars on the notion that, well, maybe it is free money because they can borrow and borrow without raising the debt limit in a way that so it, it's, it's magic phony money rather than local dollars, which have to be raised by taxes. If, if feds are going to do anything, it should be in hands-on, highly realistic sim- simulation trainings mm-hmm. to put officers in these high-stress situations and give them the skills that they don't feel that they need to escalate their own use of force. You know, there's the whole continuum of force that officers use. You start out, you know, with verbal commands. And if that doesn't get suspect compliance, you, you gradually, in a step-by-step basis, escalate your own use of force for the single object of suspect compliance. And the more resistance an officer gets, the more he's going to escalate his own use of force, possibly to the point of using lethal force. It looks to me like the... Okay, so let's say you're getting resistance from someone in real life. The biggest way to reduce resistance and to reduce anxiety and, and resentment and anger is empathy, right? Have some empathy for the other person's position, 
uh, don't put them down and check out this great book verbal judo when, when people are talking and talking that there's like only one effective way that you can interrupt and that is let me say let me let me see if i am understanding you correctly are you saying xyz and then people will listen to you because you're summar summarizing what they they just said and then th there are uh, phrases that you can use such as appreciate that oh yes sir that's a fact isn't it appreciate that and you can kind of get on the same level with people so when people are angry right the the more empathy that you can show them and the more professionalism at the same time that you can maintain yourself understanding that this is not personal that virtually nothing is personal then you can be much more effective even with the most difficult of characters these officers, and again, we don't know what preceded the video, and maybe maybe uh, Tyree was, was way resisting beforehand. It looks to me like they are escalating immediately without going up that continuum of force. And you if I what, put in something that I was... That tape. If I can, that the tape. Go ahead, excuse me. What? If, if, if it exists, we don't have that part of the tape. We seem to be starting in maybe a race. Um, we don't know. I, I wonder if they're withholding that tape or if the body cam hadn't been turned on. Um, you mentioned something I wanted to go back to and ask you about. I seem to recall there was a particular case, maybe it was the Derek Chauvin case, um, maybe some others, but when, whenever things like this happen, and now I'm referring to the Eric Garner case, the guy selling Lucy's outside, I don't know, 7-Eleven or something, they put him in a chokehold, and you were describing the George Floyd Act that, that Biden is pushing through. They will ban like one thing that is completely irrelevant to not only the outcome of, this, of the particular case they're responding to, but they will handicap police and put suspects or RSDs in much more dangerous conditions. And as I recall, the chokehold is one of them. The chokehold is a much safer hold than, than what, what alternatives are left to the police if they can't have the cho chokehold. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. So anyway, what, what kind of sane person fights with anyone with a gun, let alone police? And you really don't want to have a whole lot of interactions with, with police. So what are you doing? You know, what, what laws are you breaking? What social disruption are you causing that is leading you, like Eric Garner, to have all these interactions with, with police? So if you're breaking the law, people are complaining about it, you're getting ticketed, you're getting arrested, all right? Is, is anything going on in your prefrontal cortex so that you can see the, the path that you're on? So whenever you stop seeing things from your boss's perspective, you might as well start looking for another job. Whenever you start failing stop seeing things from your spouse's perspective or your girlfriend's perspective you might as well you know look for another woman in your life when you stop being able to see things from your friend's perspective you might as well start shopping for new friends and if you can't see things from the police's perspective and you're having interactions with the police it's not going to go very well right? the only way to effectively navigate life is to see things approximately from the other person's point of view and to minimize the things that cause people to push back on you so you don't want to be walking down the street you know looking around worrying about who's going to follow you who's going to arrest you who's going to dub you in right you need to be living at ease with other people and the first task for living at ease with other people is to learn to live at ease with yourself which may require religion it may require psychotherapy it may require 12-step programs it may require prayer meditation exercise getting better friends whatever you need to do to learn to be at ease with yourself that then just spreads out into the people around you 
and you have more and more ease and effectiveness. In yes, life. you're absolutely right. And notice what we see here. It looks like by and large, these officers are all standing and kicking him and tasing him. They're not down, holding him down. And that's probably a response to Derek Chauvin, where now they're terrified of uh, what was a legal tactic of uh, a knee on a body part, as long as you're not, you know, permanently cutting off uh, the air pipes. But Right. So when you have to subdue people, right, there aren't just a whole plethora of wonderful ways to do this with minimal risk, right? Every basic standard police approach to subduing someone who is unruly and violent and dangerous right, comes with significant risks. And the more difficult you make it for police to subdue people, such as prohibiting a chokehold, right, then you're multiplying the chances of something horrible like the Rodney King beating or this Tyree Nichols beating, right? You want to be able to make it as easy and as safe as possible for police to subdue, you know, violent criminals. There's no 100% perfect, you know, safe, easy way way to do it. All right, let's go, Paul Pelosi. He thinks everything's good. Uh, I've got a problem, but he thinks everything's good. Zero, uh, okay. Call us back if you change your mind. No, no, no. This, this gentleman just uh, came into the house. Uh, and he wants to wait here for my wife to come home. Zero, two, and so, uh, four, and 48. Anyway, he told me to put the phone down. Do you know who the person is? No, I don't know who he is. He, he told me to put the phone down. Two, twenty, and uh, just do what he said. And 18 seconds. Okay. Okay, who, what's the gentleman's name? I don't know. What's that? What's that? My name's David. Da the name is David. Okay, and who is David? Five, I, I don't 30. know. Okay, this 911 operator is not very smart, right? Do we need affirmative action with 911 operators, or is it more important to have competent 911 operators? This is not a terribly competent 911 operator. If someone was on the ball, they would have you know, dispatched help and, and recognized what the hell was going on. I don't want to you know, live in, in a society where jobs are doled out on the basis of racial preferences rather than on the basis of merit. I mean, 911 operators are disproportionately jobs that are based out on racial, you know, given out on racial preferences, not on merit. What's that? I'm a friend of theirs. Yeah, I, I, um, he says he's a friend, but... But you, don't, but you don't know who he is? No, it's no ma'am. Okay. He's telling me I'm being very leading, so I, I got to stop Zero. talking to you. Paul Pelosi did an excellent job signaling distress while DePape was inches away. But that dispatcher, not good. She almost dumped the call. Doesn't sound like she got what was going on. And it feels like she didn't communicate anything to the two officers who showed up at the front door. They seem casual. Now, we're going to show you the footage from the attack, and warning, this is graphic. I definitely don't want all of you. Hello. Good Hi. Guys. How you doing? How are you? What's going on, man? Everything's good. Hi. Hi. Drop the hammer. Um, nope. Hey, 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 hey. What is Park going on right now? I'm not getting an answer on call. Bro, oh, 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 Come on. 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 Come on.
Everett 14, Everett 10, back up, code 3. Did the officers have any idea this was a VIP house? The woman's third in line for the presidency and her husband's standing there in his underwear in the middle of the night with a bulky looking dude holding a hammer. If the door swings open and I see a scene like that, I'm not hesitating. But police didn't come in until DePape swung the hammer. Did they even know it was Paul Pelosi? And he owned the house? Unclear. DePape's guilty and should rot in prison for this, but the truth is never should have happened. This was a major national security breakdown and potentially a San Francisco police and Capitol Hill police breakdown. The footage proves it. But remember, just a few months ago, saying that kind of thing would get you suspended on NBC News. That's what happened to their award-winning journalist, Miguel Almaguer. Sources familiar with what unfolded in the Pelosi residence now revealing when officers responded to the high priority call, they were seemingly unaware they'd been called to the home of the Speaker of the House. After a knock and announce, the front door was opened by Mr. Pelosi. The 82-year-old did not immediately declare an emergency or tried to leave his home. Why Pelosi didn't try to flee or tell responding officers he was in distress is unclear. Everything that he reported was accurate. NBC News says that didn't live up to its journalistic standards, though. Well, we wanted to know why, so we asked NBC News today for their reaction, and we haven't heard back. If we had to guess, the truth doesn't measure up to NBC's standards. If you tell the truth, NBC News is going to send you to Siberia for weather hits. Look at Miguel. They'll bury you in 10 feet of snow before you get to report anything again. So... Now that the truth is out and the footage proves he was right, is NBC going to bring Miguel back from Siberia? Wouldn't bet on it. Dana Lash is a nationally syndicated radio host. So he deserves an apology. Yeah, Jesse, I, thanks for having me on. I, this is, I feel like there's something else that we're missing from this because his report was correct. Everything that he said in his initial report is everything that was confirmed by the body cam footage and by the surveillance video footage. There were some rumblings that, well, maybe he was spinning the story to make it look as though it was positive for the police. But I don't necessarily think that he did. The only thing that sticks out to me was his characterization of Paul Pelosi's behavior as being that he wasn't afraid or that he seemed very casual, which I think if, you know, in my just observant opinion here, I just think that maybe he was trying to de-escalate the situation in that yeah. way. And it didn't necessarily mean that he wasn't afraid. So I think they, at, at best, at least actually, NBC owes some kind of clarification on this. They need more transparency, not less of it. And then I think ultimately you may be right. They may end up apologizing to this reporter. I mean, he was accurate in his report. Do you think he can have a suit against NBC because they unfairly yeah, so in polarized, highly political times, being accurate is not nearly as good as being on the right side. So one thing that you'll notice about the news is that news reporters overwhelmingly tend to stick together and approach each story with the same emotional tone. And so to deviate out of what is established as the emotional tone, to deviate out of the established narrative, right, what, uh, what Curtis Yavin calls the cathedral, Right, gets you into big trouble. So this NBC News reporter told the truth, but he deviated from the narrative 
And so he got sent to sent to Siberia. Chat says, when I told the 911 operator that the teen feed charity next door was employing pimps who were pimping underage homeless girls, she laughed at me. Yeah, 911 operators, generally speaking, are not our best and brightest. But who are among our best and brightest? Who is? It's Heather McDonald. Uh a, a knee on a body is not something that is per se uh, cruel or, or abusive, uh, but every overreaction when we want to make bad incidents turn into symbols and, and we put more weight on them than we should, uh, we do overcorrect. And rather than being much more surgical in analyzing what went wrong here and, and how to uh, correct it in this particular instance, we, we want everything to be an allegory. And of course, it's usually an allegory of race. And, you know, as far as the race being kept out. So now, you know, Van Jones tells us, well, we were wrong all along. What's relevant is not the race of the officer, but the race of the victim. Uh, and uh, what we, we really saw that in, in, in force with the Ashley Babbitt killing, where you had uh, <laughs> a white victim and a black officer. And of course, that went totally down the memory hole. We didn't you know, the officer who shot Ashley Babbitt became a hero. Exactly. Uh, and I mean, to compare those two, I'm, I'm, I'm against <laughs> January 6th. I'm against trespassing. I'm against a girl crawling through a window, but she was hardly a threat to anyone and to shoot her dead. I, 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 that is a more shocking video to me than anything I've seen out of Memphis right now. And that, that officer, he was black. She was white. He's a hero. Exactly. I, you know, I've disagreed with some of my fellow conservatives on this. I, to me, the Ashley Babbitt shooting looks patently unjustified. But I've spoken to fellow sort of pro-law and artists say, oh, no, no, not necessarily. But yes, I completely agree with you, Anne. There is no evidence. The standard for use of lethal force is, you know, a reasonable suspicion or probable cause to believe that somebody is posing a threat, a lethal threat himself. And as you say, climbing through a window is no evidence of her being armed. She was not. And uh, that was a completely unjustified shooting as far as I'm concerned. And yet he's been treated as a hero after finally, you know, being brought into light. But uh, that that racial configuration, I guess, now will be forever more uh, off limits in a safe harbor. But as I say, as soon as we go back to white cop, black victim or black cop, black victim, uh, we're, we're back in our, our, our lovely racism explains everything territory. And of course, you're not allowed to say racism uh, explains black on white crime. We're completely forbidden from saying that, uh, yes. even though blacks commit 88 percent of all interracial violence between blacks and whites and whites and blacks. That's and a stunning statistic. And what percentage of, of Americans do you think know that? I'm sure not. It's like completely a sense of uh, it's well, I mean, the whole discourse about white supremacy, it's, it's utterly ludicrous. Yes. Uh, yeah. there are, we see the videos and yet we're impermeable, impervious to the videos, the, the, the shoplifting videos, the, the, the absolutely savage beatings of Asians. We see who's committing those beatings. And yet we still go around saying that the problem is white supremacy. It's a yes, I've, I've been wondering if the TV hosts getting choked up over this Memphis video and, I mean, just the endless warnings about, like, take children out of the room, graphic content coming. Have, have they seen any of the Wendy's fight videos? Mm -hmm. About last week in New York, I think it was last week, the old man with a walker walking down and a young black kid comes and just wails on him. No, that that is makes me makes me reel back in horror, not because of the race of the victims, because of the wanton, shocking violence. Yes, these are cops here. I'm just saying right. for graphic content, go online or that one down in one of the southern states with the poor, you know, immigrant like 7-Eleven operator, some sort of fast food place like that turns over all the money. And, he, you know, he's on the floor saying, please just take the money, take the money, just take the money and go. And the guy, the young teenage black male jumps over and just blows him away in the head. All of it caught on the camera in the store. That keeps me awake at night. That that would give me nightmares. Um, this seems like kind of a standard fight. The fights you see, yes, they're police. They shouldn't. That makes it much worse. I understand that logically. But in terms of the shock of what we're about to see, uh, you see fights like that from school videos, from from Wendy's videos. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, you're, I, I agree with you putting that in this this incident in that perspective, and uh, our our bad faith when it comes to race is just extraordinary. I mean, whites, elite whites, at least have an infinite capacity to change the topic, to place themselves at the center of the universe, a universe that they define as uh, endlessly racist against blacks. They 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 hold themselves responsible for things they no longer have any control over in order to have a power, to claim a power they no longer possess. Uh, and it's not, obviously, this is a completely dysfunctional situation uh, because as long as we keep this discourse going about endless white racism, you only increase the alienation uh, among blacks that will yes. increase crime, that will increase the oppositional culture, the hostility to bourgeois norms of self-control, of, of academic achievement, and uh, the violence against the police officers. I mean, here's another statistic. Mm -hmm. uh, black males have traditionally made up about 40 to 42 percent of all cop killers, even though they're six percent of the population. And wow. so if you work out on a per capita basis who's killing whom uh, and look at the number of unarmed blacks who are killed by the police each year, which has been ve it's very low. I mean, it's minute uh, in, in terms of, of fatal police shootings. It's runs from like nine to 18, eight to 18. So let's that say an average good. of about 12. Put mm -hmm. an average of 12 allegedly unarmed blacks killed mm -hmm. by the police. And I say allegedly because this is the Washington Post definition and they are trying to get the number up as high as possible. So they'll include within the unarmed category, a black suspect who's trying to grab the officer's gun, which is putting that officer on notice that he's gonna be killed unless he, he uh, comes out of that that interaction on top. Or a gun that's still in the car. Right, exactly. You can the gun be was in the passenger seat. So that Do black lives matter to you? Do black lives matter to you? Do black lives matter, all right, Karen? Fucking white piece of shit, you little fucking cussy ass bitch! Oh yeah, you wanna fucking go, Karen? No! No! Until black lives matter! Until black lives matter, no life matters! Black, white, yellow. That is not our fight! Until black lives mean something to this country! No! No! That's unarmed. Yes, it can, yes, it can be a exactly a, a, a hijacked car, stolen car, felony car stop, car, and that's an unarmed, an unarmed uh, victim. But if you do the numbers, it turns out that a police officer is four hundred times as likely to be killed by a black male as an unarmed black is to be killed by a police officer. So we always hear from the left, "Oh gosh, you know, you guys are so you're you're all modeling about oh these terrible police, they're being killed all the poor police officers are being killed all the time. It's such a dangerous profession." No, it's not. When you compare it to say mining you know in colombia or something policing is really really safe well if policing is really safe then being black vis-a-vis -vis the police is 400 times safer you know there's nothing and in fact if you're going to be a police if you're going to be a homicide victim you'd much rather be a black homicide victim than a white homicide victim vis-a-vis -vis the police because a much larger percentage of white and hispanic homicide victims are killed by a cop than black homicide victims who are killed by a cop uh nine percent of all white and hispanic victims who are killed by a cop are, excuse me, 9% of all white and Hispanic homicide victims are killed by a cop, whereas only 2% of black homicide victims are killed by a cop. Oh, wow. Over four times higher. And that is to a certain extent a function of the fact that the black homicide rate is so high. Mm -hmm. In 2020, there were 10,000 black homicide victims. There were 7,000 combined white and Hispanic homicide victims. So when you wow. go back and look at those 500 
white homicide victims who've been killed by cop versus 250 blacks who've been killed by cop, the proportions are just very, very different. Yes. So the real, again, the real problem for blacks is not the cops, it's blacks. It's blacks who are going around, you know, blowing away young children, one-year-olds, three-year-olds in their parents' cars, jumping on trampolines in their backyards. It's not the cops. Uh, but, But we just refuse to talk about that. And as long as we continue blaming the cops, we are going to make life much, much worse in black neighborhoods. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's, it's weird. And you, you do the best reporting on this. I love this about you. You go to these black neighborhoods and talk to, um, you know, the old ladies, the, young, the black ladies with kids um, at community meetings and quote them all saying, no, we need more cops. Break up the, the crack gangs. I can't walk my kid down the street anymore. Um, you do some amazing reporting on that. Well, whites are just completely oblivious as to what it means to live within a drug set, you know, which is that you, seeing that guy hanging out on the corner and you know that there's a spotter somewhere nearby uh, they have worked out the entire choreography of drug sales to a absolute uh, precision point to make sure that it's very hard for the cops to find anybody uh, and have probable cause to arrest for selling, which is why, as you know, most of the drug arrests, a lot of them are for possession, but those are always, always people engaged in drug trafficking. It's just easier to find somebody with drugs on him than to arrest him for actual sales. Or but- a homicide. I mean, they'll they'll take the, pl- the great thing about um, making... I, mean, I don't think guns should be illegal. I think they serve a very useful purpose, but making, um, you know, having strict regulations about, about carrying a firearm and making drugs illegal is, I mean, there is the snitches get stitches mentality. Even if they know this is the guy who has committed a crime, they're not, to get the witnesses to show up and, and not be subjected to witness intimidation, um, to put the case together, it's longer, it's harder. And that's why more than 90% of, of arrests end in plea bargains. And the plea bargain, okay, we'll get you the one thing you can't get out of. You can't intimidate a witness. You got a gun on you or you had drugs on you. That's most of the drug offenses. So it's not just that the guy was engaged in trafficking and we're, we're only going to let him plead to possession. He could be guilty of a drive-by shooting and we're going to get him for drugs. Right, right. And that's, you know, the pretext stops. Uh, you know, I, uh, I, I would say as far as not having witness cooperation, yes, some large part of that is the fear of retaliation. But I would say another part of that is simply hatred of the cops. It's the yes. no snitch ethic. And that is regardless of whether you think you're going to get retaliated. Now, if you- And the news media feeds hatred of the cops, right? The news media has done everything it can to discourage police from doing their jobs, to reduce the status of police in our society, to focus on everything that's negative about them. If uh, some reporter like did, did a story on me and all they focused on was the, the bad things I've done, right? I'd look really bad and my social status w- would fall. Same with the profession. If you had a bunch of news reports about the bad things that rabbis do, then the social status of rabbis would fall and fewer people would enter the rabbinate. If the news media focuses on the bad things that priests do, then the social status of priests falls. Fewer quality people will want to enter the priesthood. I want... highly competent, qualified, good people becoming police officers. I want police officers to have high status in society and to be worthy of respect and uh, to earn earn a good living, all right? And this idea that you just constantly trash police and denigrate police, right, it doesn't go in a good direction. Now, police, like anyone else, they they benefit from accurate criticism. So I am all for accurate criticism of police. If you're an elderly lady, that that may be different. But a lot of it is just sheer uh, hatred of the system. Because these guys, you know, they don't necessarily fear getting shot all that much because they're out there throwing their gang signs and and, uh, 
you know, showing off their guns and, and cash on, uh, on Instagram and, and, and YouTube. So it's, it's, it's part of that. But just again, to get to your point, uh, if you live in a, in a world where crime is rampant, you understand it in a way that whites just don't. Mm -hmm. And again, I've heard blacks complain about smelling marijuana in their hallways. They want recreational users in their own apartments to be arrested because they understand that there's the great chain of being uh, of criminal offending that it is all connected and you allow one sort of law breaking to go on and you're just opening the door to a Pandora's box of, of things worse and, and things not so worse, but it is all oppressive. And by and large, we don't have to worry about those drug dealers on the corner, but I know that I'm, you know, if I see somebody that I, I think is possibly suspicious, there's just a sinking feeling of my God, is my neighborhood now getting pulled down into that? And, and law abiding residents of high crime neighborhoods understand that there is no, Nonviolent drug trafficking. There is always right. an implicit threat of violence, whether it's marijuana or anything else. They want it out. They want, as you say, they want the kids off the corners fighting. They want truancy laws to be enforced. They want loitering laws to be enforced. And the cops have to say, "Well, see, we can't really do loitering anymore because there was this Supreme Court decision, and it's all just wonderful and and constitutional rights to loiter and whatnot." Uh, and and you're you're those. So Trump's most reliable supporter, Bill Mitchell. Remember Bill Mitchell from 2015, 2016. Well, it seems like he switched sides. So Bill Mitchell tweets, Trump launched a brutal and completely false attack on Ron DeSantis over the weekend, and DeSantis does nothing, ignores Trump completely. He just goes about the business of running Florida. Cool hand, Ron, nothing ruffles him. So Bill Mitchell has uh, apparently switched teams. Heartbreaking, bourgeois, law-abiding blacks are fierce defendants of law and order. And of course, the, the advocates... Don't ever hear them. And I'd, I'd love to know who gets to appoint advocates and activists in the first place. You know, They just show up and they declare themselves, we're the advocates. And, and then the press just says, okay, you can tell us about your clients. And no, you can't. You don't know anything about your clients. But they, they, it's just this amazing self-anointing uh, that gives you foundation money and, uh, you know, homeless advocates. Well, who gets to say that you're the homeless advocate? I don't know. It's, it's, quite amazing. it's, it's a real scam. <laughs> to go back to the fact that all, um, I don't know how many, I think two more were added today, but all of the cops um, implicated in, in Memphis, they're all black. Um, I too was was shocked when I saw, I think it was CNN was the first place I saw, oh my gosh, they're showing the picture of all of them. Um, and I realized that's the power of the internet. They know what's going to get out there, <laughs> may as well get credit for telling the truth. But the gymnastics they're doing now to explain I mean, who knows, but no protests so far. Um, but why, oh, this is different from other cases. And yes, they're black. Um, the excuses for why this is different, other than the officers being black, I think are nonsense. Um, but if it isn't, if, if they can't use the white supremacy argument, they're pretty much down to going back to defund the police. Or No, they'll find a way to say this is all about structural racism. So structural racism is not something that's empirical. It's not something that you can document. It's not something you can point out. It's not something you can make a rational empirical argument for. It's a mystical belief. So that's what it seems like they're doing. They're, they're, putting, this, they're putting this as the fault of uh, structural racism. All right. Matt Gates, representative, Republican, says there were secret provisions to the deal that led to Kevin McCarthy becoming oh, You mentioned personnel. Uh, that is something that has been reportedly written down and agreed to on the side, a sort of a side deal. Here's Congresswoman Mace on some of that. We don't know what they got or didn't get. We haven't seen it. We don't have any idea what promises were made or what gentlemen's handshakes were made. Let's get into this. Maybe we resolve it once and for all right here on live TV. Uh, you have a 55 page rules package. That part is public under the rules. We could put up reporting on that. Um, we all know about that. Then you have reporting of a secret three page agreement 
Um, reading here from Punchbowl, McCarthy and his allies hashed this out with the Freedom Caucus. It's got the other concessions, including Rules Committee, that's personnel, I believe, what you just referred to, and other things. Um, point blank, Congressman, have you or your staff seen this additional agreement in writing in any form? Yeah, it took multiple forms. There was specifically a side-by-side -side sheet where we made offers to McCarthy. There were some offers he accepted, some he modified, some he rejected, just like you'd see in any negotiation. I can tell you that Thomas Massey, Chip Roy, Ralph Norman being on the Rules Committee would not have happened but for this negotiation. Folks like Representative Clyde, Representative Cloud, two great conservatives on the Appropriations Committee, that's a direct result of these negotiations. Mm -hmm. And this week, we'll be voting on Paul Gosar's legislation to end the COVID national emergency. That that was a piece of policy so why, that McCarthy committed and I'll to I'll let you continue, but the question where I'm going is, why keep that secret? I'm, what are your questions? I'm happy to tell you any element. I'm actually quite proud of the work product, so it's no secret at all. The product, though, I, I appreciate you here taking questions, but why not release the written product that exists and has currently been kept secret? And for context, uh, you and others have talked about bringing transparency to government. It's one thing to hear it described, and another thing for the government, now the, the House Republican majority, to just release whatever this underlying material is. Here's a little bit of how you and some others have sounded about government secrecy. The American people are tired of the swamp games. We had the audacity to want to know what in the world was going on behind closed doors. Why not commit to releasing the written agreement or working to get it released tonight? Yeah, I have no objection to that, but it was largely... Okay, well, check out uh, Tucker Carlson in about three minutes. ...reform the police in some way that will make the police less effective. Um which I would not think would be a good idea for the Democrats going into a, well, we're not there yet, but going into a presidential election year. Uh, I thought they were trying to pretend they were never for defunding the police. And now they've kind of trapped themselves. They've gotten to the end of the maze. It's all black ops here. So if, if it's not this apocryphal white supremacy, you're really going to have to go after the police and not in a, a, a logical way that would make a difference, as Heather McDonald suggests, but in stupid ways. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think they still are saying white supremacy. You know, the Van Jonesbees and others will just say, Blacks can be racist, too. You know, they become white adjacent in a sense, in a, in a different way, uh, that they've just absorbed uh, the racism of whites and they're trying to fit in. So I, I, I don't think they've really discarded that argument. And, and there you have Biden, you know, as I say, recycling the idea that blacks are right to fear every day of their lives from police officers. Uh, I, I, I think, though, conservatives made a mistake in leaning too heavily on the defund phrase and trying to hang that around Democrats uh, because the people who actually used the defund phrase were fairly small mm -hmm. and you don't have to actually call for defunding uh, police departments to have an extraordinarily pernicious effect on them simply by accusing them of being systemically racist. That, that's the real problem, uh, which is to, to so calumny officers for proactive policing that they back off. You have massive attrition now. You have Recruiting is basically over in this country. You cannot find anybody who wants to start a profession where from day one you're, you're uh, deemed a racist. Mm -hmm. So I... I don't know if we'll go back to defund. We, we don't need to go back to defunding because that wasn't the cru cru crucial issue in any case. Biden, he's right when he said he didn't call for defunding and, and we've given him that safe harbor. We shouldn't have. You, oh, that's a great you don't point. have to call for defunding to be dangerously and profoundly anti-law enforcement. You just have to go around as Biden does saying that black parents are right to fear that any day, every day their kid st steps out of his house, he could be gunned down by a police officer. As to whether this will hurt the Democrats in, in 2024, I don't know. I, I, I was pretty, well, I can't say I was disappointed because you and I Anne, are both pessimists. So I, but I don't think that the crime issue made really much of a difference at all in the midterm elections. Uh, the only people talking about it were white conservatives 
New York Post and on Fox and, and everywhere. And I, I sort of feel like once white conservatives finally say, well, OK, if you guys don't care about crime, we don't care about crime either because it's mostly black on black. So mm -hmm. if we talk about crime and then we're accused of a rape, being racist for caring about black lives, OK, we're not going to care anymore. Um, it didn't really matter. You know, uh, the, the Democrats won in any case. And I sort of feel like Fox still continues to sort of promote the crime issue. But it, it kind of feels the whole thing is sort of deflated now. It, it didn't matter. And I, I'm not sure it'll matter so much going into 2024. Either. I think you're way more pessimistic than I. I think crime and immigration remain the two and probably the remembrance of the COVID shutdowns, um, which is going to help Governor DeSantis of Florida. But crime and immigration never go out of style. I mean, Zeldin may not have won. That was the most heartbreaking election. But he carried a lot of Republicans to office. Chuck Schumer did worse than he's ever done before. Now, I hate to sound like a Washington Republican. <laughs> well, we almost won, but you lost. Um, I, I I think what, what ruined the midterms for us was Donald Trump and his candidates. But the issues and the issue of crime, I mean, it's, it's surprising some of the, the areas of, in New York City. I don't really, I'm not that much of a politico, but my friend Ryan Jardusky. Oh, yeah, right. And he was, no, I mean, a low level, like retail politics. Yeah. And Jardusky was telling me just district after district and neighborhood suddenly voting Republican in the New York area. I think it was outside of Manhattan. But it was pretty, pretty astonishing. I think crime remains a very potent issue as long as we have the right candidates. Well, maybe. I, I just think, yeah, New York is, is the uh, counterexample to my sense. And I, I guess Kenosha has traditionally been blue. It voted red. But I would say generally in other other areas like California, uh, you know, Rick Caruso should have just walked into the L.A. City Hall as mayor. And he didn't, he didn't really run on crime. Yes, he did. Oh, he absolutely ran on crime and homelessness. That was his two main issues. Completely. That's interesting. My friends in L.A. were bashing him throughout that campaign, saying he was doing more. Of, I mean, when he claimed I'm not a white man, I'm an Italian. He was doing some silly identity politics stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but my friends in L.A. say he should have been hitting nothing but crime, and he wasn't. Okay, well, I wasn't there either, but my impression was that that really was his his campaign. But I think we were also, pushing it on his behalf. <laughs> I know I was. Well, I, I don't know. The L.A. Times, that, that is certainly the received wisdom on, on him. And um, it may be that your friends had higher expectations, but I he he definitely, that that's the received narrative about him, is that he was running on crime and vacancy. So I may be wrong. That may be, I don't know why that would be, why they would posit that as a phony narrative if it weren't the case, unless they want to discourage anybody from going forward with that in the future and just say, well, it doesn't even work, so don't even try right. it. But I, I hope you're right. Uh, so far, though, Carlson, tonight, like last spring in March, at a press conference in Brussels, Joe Biden explained that the sanctions he was imposing against Russia, while morally necessary, were also going to cause food shortages around the world, including here in the United States. It's going to be real, he said. Now, Biden said this in a very odd way. There was no hint or panic, emotions you'd expect from a leader predicting the deaths of human beings from starvation. None of that. Instead, there was pure nonchalant casualness. Biden could have been describing the weather or a trip to the dry cleaners. It's going to be real. Then Biden continued recounting a conversation he'd had with European allies. He told us all about it. When he met with the group, Biden said, they spoke about, quote, how we could increase and disseminate more rapidly food shortages. That's what Joe Biden said verbatim. It's on tape. So here you have the president of the United States pledging to increase food shortages at a press conference. Now, that seemed like a newsworthy event, but not a single news organization in this country seemed to notice it happened, nor did the White House correct it. But others were watching. So within days, that clip wound up on social media and Facebook flagged it immediately as, quote, false news. Now, strictly speaking, that's untrue. There's nothing false about the video. It was entirely real. No one can test that. But apparently, Facebook users were supposed to understand that Joe Biden is senile, and therefore he's not accountable for his own words. Taking Joe Biden literally qualifies as, quote, misinformation. 
Now, we'll leave that whole episode for you to assess. We can't know what Joe Biden was thinking, if anything, when he uttered those words in Brussels. We can only tell you what happened afterward. Strange disasters began to beset food processors all over the United States. In April, the next month, the headquarters of one of this country's largest organic food distributors was destroyed in a fire, cause unknown. The next month, in a single week actually, two separate private plane crashes took out two separate food processing centers. One plane hit a General Mills plant in Georgia, the other plane hit a food plant in Idaho. By the way, back in February, a boiler explosion obliterated a potato processing plant in Oregon, and so on. So even people who aren't given to connecting the dots, who don't think of themselves as conspiracy nuts, began to wonder, is there something here? But no one could tell. The Biden administration had no answers and no way to get to the answers because they had no data. And that's interesting because the Biden administration tracks a lot of things, the things that it cares about, the race and ethnicity and sex life, for example, of every person in America. Do we have enough trans-Pacific Islanders playing woodwinds in major symphonies? How about gay Southeast Asians and long-haul trucking? These are the questions that concern the bean counters in the Biden administration. And yet at the same time, that same administration keeps no real records about the infrastructure of our food supply. Apparently that has never occurred to them. So honestly, we can't really know one way or the other because we don't have a baseline whether something strange is going on with food suppliers. But some days you do wonder. On Saturday, an enormous commercial egg farm in central Connecticut burned to the ground for no obvious reason. Huge fire. At least 20 fire departments responded, fought the blaze for over eight hours. More than 100,000 chickens died. Now, that's a sad story. But what's interesting is that most media companies did not consider it a story at all. Weird, considering egg prices have become an actual problem for most Americans. Egg prices are up more than 100% in many places. And yet, at that exact moment, when eggs are a concern, 100,000 chickens die in a freak fire, and the New York Times, which is right next door in a neighboring state, does not even cover the fire? What is that? Don't worry! Things like this have nothing to do with egg prices, say the media. It's just avian flu. Watch. Egg consumption has grown over the years as many people are eating them as their main protein source. But the production has slumped because of the ongoing bird or avian flu epidemic. Over the last year, the USDA says nearly 58 million birds have been infected in the U.S., making it the deadliest outbreak in U.S. history. Unfortunately, the infected birds have to be killed, causing the egg supplies to fall and prices to surge. In some cases, stores are running out and limiting the amount people can buy. Bye. We bought eggs earlier this week here at Fry's and Levine. Uh, we paid $8.99 for a dozen eggs. So if you ask the Agriculture Department, for example, or anyone in the Biden administration, to the extent they're paying attention, which is not much, they'll tell you that egg prices are high because avian flu, and that's a completely natural virus just like COVID. The price of nothing to do with chicken farms burning down. Again, not that anyone in the government tracks that kind of thing. Why would they? Because nothing like that could ever happen. Settle down, QAnon! And a lot of people, particularly the national news media, people who could not identify a chicken if it didn't come with dipping sauce, are satisfied with that explanation. But we noticed that some farmers who deal with chickens every day are not convinced. Some of them, some chicken farmers have noticed something odd. Their chickens aren't laying eggs or as many eggs. And these chickens don't appear sick with avian flu. They're not dying. They're still alive. They're just not producing eggs. Now, healthy hens lay eggs on a regular basis every 24 to 26 hours. But suddenly, chicken owners all over the country, not all of them, but a lot of them, are reporting they're not getting any eggs or as many 
So what's causing that? Clearly something's causing that. Some have concluded their chicken feed may be responsible. Watch. Is the commercial feed the reason so many people's chickens have not been laying at all? This is a question that I am asking myself and I have seen all over TikTok, Facebook, everywhere. I'm talking about chickens, tons of people who are having no eggs for six, seven months. Like this is not normal. I have at least 60 hens that should be laying. I have a flock of roughly a hundred and I was getting two to three eggs in the summer all summer long. I genuinely think it's the feed, especially after seeing so many people have the same problem, switching to a local feed and it fixing itself. Really quick. So why'd we just put that clip on TV? Because that chicken owner speaks for all chicken owners because she's the world's greatest expert on avian questions? Probably not. But because the people who should be keeping track of what's going on are clearly not keeping track of what's going on because they just don't care. And so instead of going to the usual sources at the Ag Department or calling the White House press office, we decided to listen to people who actually have chickens. And that one, for example, the lady you just saw says she checked, switched her chicken feed and it solved her problem. Her chickens began laying eggs once again immediately. Now, the specific brand of feed referenced in that video is called Producer's Pride. It's made by Purina. Most chicken feed brands are made by Purina. Purina also makes... Producer's Pride, that's the cattle feed, recently subject to a recall after regulators linked that product to a series of unexplained cattle deaths. It was removed from shells because there was a good chance you shouldn't be feeding it to livestock. Could that be happening again? Now, we don't know, but we should tell you, because again, no one else seems to be keeping track of this, that it's not just Producer's Pride that some chicken owners are worried about. Some have concerns about several other chicken feed brands made by Purina. So we reached out to the company today because, again, we're agnostic on this, but we figured we would do a little poking. And they said they've looked into it, too, and their feed is not the problem. And that may absolutely be true. We don't know. What we did notice, though, was that that explanation was more than enough for most media companies, trained as they are to accept corporate press releases as the final word on any given topic. Well, they said it's not a problem, so it's not a problem. We don't think that's the last word. Again, we can't tell you for certain either way. But we do know, and here's really the point, that America's food supply is one of those topics it's worth being a little paranoid about. This is not a matter of how many Trans-Pacific Islander oboists we've got. This is a matter of national survival, of food, the question on which empires rise and fall. And in this specific case, eggs, poultry, and chicken, avian products, are major major sources of protein in the diets of most Americans. And you need protein to live. If you don't have enough, you get protein deficiency, and that can stunt the growth in children. So a question like this, whatever its cause, could easily flower into an actual public health crisis. And of course, it's also potentially a national security problem. There are so few eggs right now at such high cost that smugglers are trafficking eggs across our border. Watch this. Here at the busy San Ysidro border crossing in California, word traveling fast about a new good being smuggled into the U.S. U.S. Customs and Border Protection has reported an 108% increase in seized egg products and poultry that people have tried to smuggle through U.S. ports of entry in just the last two months. So are we being a little paranoid about the American food supply? Yes, we are. And we're proud of it. And our leaders should be even more paranoid always about our food supply. Food, energy, water. Those are the three things that matter. The rest of it is noise. And of course, as always, they're ignoring what really matters. 
Connor Blackman is the urban chicken farmer. He says he personally has experienced issues with his chicken feed. He joins us tonight to try to untangle this mystery. Connor, thanks so much for coming on and welcome as well to your... So are you also experiencing problems with your chicken feed? I mean, I think inquiring, inquiring minds want to know what the hell's going on with our chicken feed, guys. Bro, food chain is ultimately the cause of our social malady, says Elliot Blatt. Right, here's Ann Coulter talking with Heather McDonald. Really, yep. that was a mixed bag. Uh, I, I, I just don't think that the crime played the role that it should have, but we'll see what happens. It, you know, it's starting, it looks like the massive homicide shooting increases is leveling off in some places. What happens from here on out, I don't know, and they're still very high. But right now, it really is a question of, it is white people who seem to care about black lives, uh, except for those good law-abiding bourgeois blacks in the inner city. Overall, blacks are still voting massively democratic. That's what the leaders are, are, are not promoting, more policing by and large. Uh, and certainly the media on, on their behalf is not, is not taking that position. So of the, of the reforms, I wanted to ask what else was in the George Floyd reform bill. Um, a lot of areas around the country I know have, have cracked down on police. No more, no more um, traffic violation arrests. And, you know, so black people start dying at astronomical rates from driving accidents. Even Steve Saylor keeps documenting that. There's the chokeholds that I forget the details, but the chokeholds lead to more deaths when you don't have the simple way of holding someone immobile. I know that cops will say that in some circumstances, absolutely the safest thing to do is the chokehold. Um, the community, we're going to hire more from within the community. And how do we do that? We're going to drop standards. And then we have untrained cops. Um, are there any other fantastic reforms that are supposed to prevent incidents like this that have led to more black people dying? I, I just want to buttress you in the, in the traffic stop and just say, and traffic uh, enforcement, how absolutely insane this is. The National Highway Transportation Safety Administration has had for years a program that it says is talking about the connection between the, lex the nexus between crashes and crime. It turns out the worst driving is in the highest crime neighborhoods. And since George Floyd, uh, inner city driving has gotten just completely out of control. The red light speeding, you know, going 50 miles an hour in school zones. And you're absolutely right. Uh, blacks die of car crashes as either as pedestrians or as drivers themselves at much higher rates in South Central, in Los Angeles, the highest rates of, of uh, pedestrian and cyclist deaths are in South Central LA. Uh, so when the cops back off of that, then again, black lives go up, black deaths rather go up, which is what we see time and time again. And of course, red light cameras are also viewed at speeding cameras are also viewed as racist, uh, mm -hmm. just like computer algorithms that are completely colorblind are racist all because of disparate impact. And so uh, you know, if you wanted to save pedestrian lives, you'd put in red light cameras at every intersection, but proposals to do that are always shot down on disparate impact grounds, which tells you something about driving patterns. Uh, yes. So, which used to be something one could maybe tiptoe up and study in the early 2000s. There were some studies that came out of New Jersey and North Carolina that showed that there are big, big differences in speeding between black and white drivers. But those were the good old days of, of when we, you could actually study that, even though we were still in the, in the driving while black mania today, nobody's going near that. Um, well, I think I read it from you and I've cited it endlessly. It was, was it the first George Bush administration or the second one that did a study because the claim was New Jersey state right. troopers were. Okay. I want to hear what uh, Tucker Carlson has to say about wind farms. Never thought there was a story there. Politico, mm -hmm. how much are they getting paid? But, uh, okay. Caller, you're on the air. What's going on, bro? What's up? First time, long time. <laughs> no, no. Just want, to, just want to say that. But I'm driving. How's my audio? Oh, you sound great, mate. Wonderful. Yeah, man. This food chain issue is actually a big deal, dude. Okay. Chickens are coming home to the roost. 
<laughs> You've been overtaxing the soil. The soil's producing insufficient nutrients. The nutrients aren't making it to us. This is, uh, we, you know, the bill's coming due, dude. Okay. Bad news. Bad news. You follow uh, me, man? You feel me? You feel me? I feel you, bro, but tell me more. Well, we've been overtaxing the soil, right, with soil amendments and fertilizers and things like that. But uh, this weakens the soil over time, and so you need more and more inputs. And pretty soon you reach the amount of you, you deplete things so much that the inputs don't have a sufficient effect on creating the nutrients that plants need. Does that make sense? Yeah, so what you're saying is we need to start burying people in the soil so that when they decompose, it'll give the compost, you know, create the compost necessary to supplement our food chain. It's not exactly what I was saying, but it couldn't hurt. It wouldn't hurt, dude. Uh, and dude, and been... have, have you volunteered your body for composting? No, I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory, bro. <laughs> Disavow. I'm going out hot. No, no, no. Like cremation, bro. Cremation's the way to go, my dude. But that's really bad for the air quality and global warming, bro. Nah, it's just like a barbecue, bro. It's no big deal. Barbecues are bad for air quality and global warming, bro. <laughs> uh, all right, all right, all right. So why are you all gussied up, man? It looks like you had a you had a funeral or something. Or? I, I had a job to pull in downtown LA. I can't really get into too many details, but it required yeah, me to look respectable. Oh, uh, so I I had this toothache for three hours today. I was basically incapacitated by a toothache. Can you believe that? Wow! So, too much nicotine gum. Well, funny you should say that. I think that's a cult could be a culprit. But I uh, I was chewing another piece of gum. Now that I'm chewing this nicotine gum, I've acquired the habit of chewing gum as a little pastime, nicotine, non-nicotine gum. But it was this sort of left-wing organic gum that I got at Whole Foods, and it was hard as a rock. And I sort of bit down on it, and it just shot this jolt of uh, electricity up my tooth, and it just brought me to my knees, Luke. It was, it was a pathetic spectacle. It was hard to watch. No, we're all vulnerable, bro. There's no shame in your vulnerability. And, and, and then, go ahead. Well, then I'm trying to get some aspirin. So I used to have a bottle of aspirin. A bottle of aspirin would last me about 10 years, right? I didn't really take aspirin that often. But <clears throat> with the advent of these toothaches, I've been going through aspirin um, a lot. And so I finally ran out of a bottle, and I went to Walgreens to get another bottle, but you can't buy plain old aspirin. Aspirin. you got to buy all of this coated aspirin and all this stuff, right? Like a bottle of aspirin used to be a dollar, you know? And it worked. That was the thing about it, Luke. The beauty of it was it actually worked. You took a couple of aspirin, and you felt great. Plain old aspirin, as generic as it gets. And now i got to buy this enteric-coated aspirin, it's like four bucks a bottle. There's like 30 tablets in it instead of the hundred that the other bottle had. And then to boot, it really doesn't work that well. I That's like terrible. I, yeah. I hate to be a complainer, Luke, but things are falling to shit in all different directions. Maybe if you ate an egg. 
Could be. You know, the funny thing is I lost my appetite. I used to eat a lot of eggs, and right around the shortage, I lost my appetite for it. But uh, I did go to buy some eggs last week, and I was stunned to find uh, there were no eggs in the supermarket, which was, <laughs> which was a bit of a shock. But I didn't, uh, I didn't feel like the world was crashing down same time i thought i thought it was like a momentary you know it was a temporary thing i did i thought because of the flu they had to cull the chickens and therefore the, the eggs were out but i didn't realize it was a more, deeper more systemic issue around chicken feet this is what i just learned from tucker Carlson. and do you think you need a root canal uh i have a broken tooth oh no i mean i need it's going yeah, to be expensive. Like do, do you have dental insurance? Do you have dental insurance? No, bro. You know, I don't. But even when I did, the dentist was still outrageous. The insurance, effectively, I got a tooth removed several years ago. And the bill after insurance was 700 bucks. I'm like, what's the point of having insurance at that point? Because without insurance, your bill would have been like 3000 bucks. No, Luke, that's what you don't understand, is they raise and lower the price to match your insurance coverage, right? The insurance coverage, if I had no insurance coverage, it would have been 700 bucks, right? They would have said 3000 and then they would have said, oh, but insurance covered 2300 so you, you owe 700 I knew this because when I broke my arm skiing, the bill was like $4,000, right? And I said, listen, I don't have insurance. And they said, oh, you don't? Okay, the bill's $1,200. I know this firsthand, Luke. It's a scam. It's all insurance-driven. They, they bill you what they can get. They figure out the max that you can get, and that's your bill. Well, when I, I go to a dentist, I got dental insurance, and I think I have to pay something like $40, maybe even $50 for every cavity that they fix. And I know it'd be more than that without the insurance. Without the insurance, it'd be like $100 per cavity. Well, maybe you got some good insurance, dude. How much is your insurance per year, Mike? I think I pay $16 a month. No. For plain old straight-up Delta insurance? Yeah. Delta Dental, the, uh, though. Delta Dental. Is this the Tribe of, Am Tribe of Abraham special? Is this like one of those things you're... Uh, your boy that Shul hooked you up with, or what? No, no, it's it's available to all of God's children, bro. It goes with oh, my I'm, Kaiser I'm, Kaiser Health Plan. Oh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna get on that then. I'm gonna get on that. So uh, yeah. Otherwise, been on an upswing, Luke. Big upswing. Things are happening. Things are moving, Luke. But uh, have you got the pain under control? When when are you going to the dentist to get this fixed, or did you already do it? Uh, no, I haven't. I haven't made the call yet because I, I hate the dentist more than anything in the world. I hate everything about it. Um, and I know I'm being immature and childish, but uh, <laughs> I really hate being at the dentist. Especially, I feel sorry for the dentist. Right? My dentist. I swear to God, he's Chinese. The last time I was this was a long time ago. Last time I was there, he's Chinese. Guess what his name is? Ching. You'll never. Dr. Harry Jew. <laughs> I swear to God, I'm not making this up. And he spells it J-E-W, not like J-U, which you might have expected with a Chinese name. Um, and he's the most oppressive character in the world. And he's the lonely, you know, that thing about Dennis being lonely, because 
they want to talk to you, but your your mouth is pried open, and they got like four fingers in your mouth, and they ask you questions about current events, and you're like, ah. so then they pull all the crap out, so then you spit out your answer, and then they put it all back in again. I like let's just not have a conversation while your fingers are in my mouth, you know. But who else? Are they, who else are they going to talk to? I know this ethnic uh, dentist who lived in rural Australia, and he couldn't get a Sheila because he was he was ethnic and he, he was a top bloke. But the Sheilas wouldn't give him a time of day. He was a top dentist. He served on the city council, like great bloke. But none of the Sheilas would give him time of day, so he had to move to a multicultural paradise like Brisbane to really start to get a good Sheila. Well. We all have our crosses to bear, my dude. Hey, have uh, you tried baby aspirin orange flavored? No, no. That sounds a little gay, Luke, I gotta say. It, it tastes like classic crystal light, classic orange. Oh, speaking about orange juice, Luke, I think all of this rain has created this bumper crop of oranges. So I went to uh, Sprouts, which is kind of like a knockoff Whole Foods. And I bought two things of orange juice. Ever since I've been sick, I've been craving uh, orange juice. So I got two two half gallons of orange juice. And I swear to God, it was the best tasting orange juice I've ever had in my life. Like, I could taste all the different nuances of the orange flavor. And it did was it, so good. I just Did the flavor explode in your mouth? <laughs> it exploded in my mouth. Well, a forceful, yeah, it was a forceful face load of orange, bro. You're getting face blasted by orange juice. Yeah. Fresh. It was so fresh, Luke, and it was like the deepest, darkest orange. It was, it was almost luminescently orange. Have you ever and had was, classic crystal light orange? It tastes just like fresh squeezed orange juice, but without the sugar and the calories. Uh, no, I wouldn't be caught dead doing that, Luke. That's, um... LGBTQ, if you know what I mean. LGBTQ is a good thing, bro. Get yourself some real orange juice, Luke. No, way too high in sugar. It'll activate my pre-diabetes. No, Luke. You're thinking about things the wrong way. What's it sweetened with, this crystal light? Saccharin or something? It's not sugar, all right, and no calories. So my doctor told me don't drink juice. Uh, your dog, you get a new doctor, Luke. Get some juice. Get some nice juice for yourself. Yeah, you you, you're, you're trying to kill me. You just want me, yeah, me to become less attractive to women so that you can have me all to yourself. <laughs> Luke, you know me, man. I want to give you my love. Every inch of my love. No homo. <laughs> Blessings. I was listening to the travesty of a game yesterday. Did you watch it? Oh my no. God! What a what a blowout, man! The Eagles yeah, just know, did a it, number. Yeah, there's just this one. Can't, we had like five quarterbacks. Couldn't last the whole season. Couldn't get the whole season with five quarterbacks. It was amazing. So that whole came. That whole situation came and went. Uh, it's good to be out of football season. I, I feel like spring is on its way once once the San Francisco has been eliminated. I, I wonder what large, fat, trans woman Sports Illustrated will put on its cover this year for its bathing suit issue. Oh, they better they better cover it up because I might get too excited in line, you know. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. 
Do you think this woke stuff's just going to kind of, people going to get tired of it and just move on? I mean, it's kind of, feels like it's deep into overtime, you know? Like, ready for a new story, don't you think? Well, people have been making fun of woke for, for years, so I, I, there there is considerable backlash to it. But in some circles, it's de rigueur, and in other circles, it's a bad joke. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's like I'm, I'm so I'm just I'm not even upset by it. I'm just bored by it now. Like, I'm bored by everything. That's my latest problem. It's ennui. You know, like I can't get I can't get exercised by the news. I can't, you know, the, the whole Memphis thing. Couldn't care about that. But nobody could once the. Uh, uh, the complete demographics of the situation were revealed. That's it. That story just evaporated, <laughs> completely gone. Right? They were gearing up for World War Three, and then they figured out, oh, we don't have the typical story. Hey, what what's going on with your swim club? Have you been out there swimming? No, Luke. I I think I better. I think that's going to be a summertime only thing. I think um, I think this last cold lung infection issue was due to that swimming i I gotta i gotta treat my body a little more carefully i think yeah when when i take a cold shower in the mornings now it is ice cold it's freezing yeah i don't think it's good for you i think maybe once in a while but you know your body does a lot of work to keep warm i don't think you should I think you should be just, just, just that, you know, it's a lot of energy to recover from temperature loss like that, you know? I, I guess I'm a little skeptical about the whole. So, what are you doing to stay in shape? Well, okay. walking. Yeah. You know, two to three miles. You got to sort of amp that up again. Um, problem with walking is I get less callus on my toe if I do any sort of real distance. So i got to figure out how to address that. I know it sounds like a small problem, but after three miles, you know, my toe really starts to hurt. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it makes me not want to continue, you know? So if I don't solve that, I won't walk. If I don't walk, I'm going to get fat. It's like all it takes where we... Where we, we we, we live on a razor's edge, Luke. We're, we're children in the hands of an angry God. One small little mistake, and we could be 300 pounds, Luke. I think you need a holiday, mate. I do need a holiday. I need a nice ski holiday. But I got responsibilities, Luke. I need a, I need a, I need a, I need an apartment sitter. You know how many apartment sitters in the area that aren't retarded? To, to keep your plants alive? And, uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I like, I don't, I can't be away for more than 24 hours, you know, I got responsive, I'm tied down, man, I'm uh, taking on these, so much responsibility, <laughs> every cat sitter I tried to get luckily, they've been, they, they're, anybody who's eligible to be a cat city is automatically a retard, you just have to understand that, right? Anybody willing to live in someone else's house, take care of their cats for an extended period of time, they have nothing going on. And if they have nothing going on, it means they're a retard, right? And so, and if they're a retard, you don't trust them. It's a difficult problem, Luke. Think it through.
You need to start trusting the retarded, bro. <laughs> you know, I noticed that I have to, like, glean that word. I have to excise that word from my vocabulary because people generally do take offense. I've, I've been uh, reprimanded once on Facebook and once in, per- per- uh, once in person for using the word retard uh, as freely and casually as I do with you. I got, you know, I was got a severe remonstration. Well, as long as you don't say the N word. Oh no, that uh, that would be like career and possibly actual death. <laughs> Do you ever let uh, you ever let anything slip lately? You used to have a problem. You used to be a little uh, incontinent with your words. Yeah, if you you, you nip that in the bud. Not that I'm aware of. I think I've been on on good behavior for for a while. Yeah. So when I was working for my brother, right, I mean, I didn't want to cause any negative repercussions for my brother, so I tried to be you know, careful with the language I use. But people, like family, does, like, tell me to shush. They, they've got a loud voice saying inappropriate things. Yeah. Um, yeah, it makes you not want to be with them, doesn't it? Uh, it's not it's not that bad i can like it like saying retarded is not you know particularly essential to to my life i can you know i can maneuver around i I know but it's indicative like you can't the overton window of your relationship is just too narrow and you feel ultimately start to feel constricted by it don't you think uh, it it can get like that. I didn't experience that. I just tried to have more empathy for the people I was around, so I didn't want to didn't want to bother them. So I just dial it down it down a bit, and then you know I can just let it loose on the show. Uh, when I'm with my family, I, I, I the only thing I ever hear from them is, oh oh don't say that, oh don't say that, and I'm not talking like. I'm not saying really terrible things, you know. I'm just speaking how I normally speak, and uh, it's the perils of the e personality, bro. It's you've been unleashed by the alt right online, and you've you've formed some yeah, neural I'm pathways. I'm not saying. Yeah, yeah. Do you? Well, but do you? Do you feel might. like a caged bird? Do you feel like a caged bird, Elliot? In a way, I feel like, yeah, one of those those parrots that has their wings clipped. I have to just sit there and stand on the shoulder. No, I don't feel... Yeah, I, I do feel like a cage bird when I'm, when I'm around them, and therefore I just don't go. That's the problem. I don't want to, I, I don't want to like, do that, but that's what happens. There's been a lot of, uh, of blow-ups in my family in, interpersonally recently. So, you know, aunt's not speaking to mother... Aunt's not speaking to sister, that kind of crap. Because the truth came out about, the, the, you know, some feelings that they had. And they have uh, this sort of a small little cold war brewing. I don't want to bore you with the details, but it's kind of amusing. And uh, what what feelings have you been having? Um, uh, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm on a nice upward trajectory finally. I feel like I've been stagnant, but... I've got these little this little side project going on, and it's sort of it's uh, it's been a very fun creative challenge, and it's actually working. So I feel like uh, you know 
and that's all mine, you know. It's not like working for a job where, you know, you're you're doing things, but you're not really doing it for yourself. This is something that's all mine, and I'm, and it's actually working. So it's it's a sort of quiet satisfaction. It's like one notch above boredom, though, Luke. It's not, it's not high dopamine. It's 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 just the quiet satisfaction of accomplishing something that's kind of difficult. But yeah, I'm feeling good. Congratulations. Thanks, bro. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, one more you. story. One last story. Yes. So I, I went up to Sebastopol. You know what Sebastopol is? It's California? A, yes. Yeah, it's like, it's got, it's by the Russian River. It's like a lot of spas and things, massages and hot tubs and all this kind of stuff. It's this whole spa, relaxation, hippie vibe that goes on up there. And so I went up there, and the streets are just, there's just like a dozen people just kind of ambling around this little town, just barking at the moon and shouting into the sky. Just the, the, just the level of insanity that you just typically associate with San Francisco seems to have spread out in this 100-mile blast radius. And it was just very odd to see and disheartening. Anyway, that's all. So were the streets alive with the sound of music? No, they're like streets are alive with the sounds of people in someone's head, you know. And like the normies, the, the the insane people were yelling at the normies, and the normies were like trying to stay away. And it's like I don't know, like regular life seems to have just disappeared. You know, it seems to be on its way out. It seems passe. Uh, Party bots one 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 says, bro. I'm in Sebastopol right now. Say, what's up, Blatt? Uh, what's up? Tell, we'll have him talk about have, Bring him on and have him talk about all the lunatics that are in Sebastopol. Hey, how was your Chinese Lunar New Year? Oh, well, unobserved, Luke. I just I didn't do much. I'm sorry. No dragon boat race for me. I heard some fireworks in the distance and thought they were gunshots. That's the extent of it, dude. You you weren't able to join in the the joys of your fellow Chinese citizens. No, not this year, Luke. Sadly, sad to say. But it's fun. It's a it's a cute little holiday, I have to say. You know, they, they, it's it's like an ancient holiday, and they have these customs, and they they preserve them. I always like to see people preserving their customs. I think it's nice. Beautiful. Okay, blessings, Elliot Blatt. All right, blessings, peace, shalom. Peace. Shalom. Bye. Okay. Let's uh, see what uh, Tucker Carlson has to say here about wind farms. No matter how cynical you are about the media, and you ought to be pretty cynical, it may not have occurred to you that they're literally for sale. The national news media can be bought. Give them enough money and they will cover you favorably. And then they will attack anyone who disagrees with you. But that is, is of course, true. And the stories around FTX, the crypto scam and Pfizer show that very clearly. So if you ask journalists about this, usually they seem, well, ashamed because that's prostitution, not journalism. But Politico, which is a left-wing political blog in Washington, is not ashamed at all. If you send Politico enough money, they will run your ads and then publish stories attacking anyone who criticizes you without disclosing their conflict of interest at any point. Now, they've been doing this for quite some time. It's an open secret in Washington. They're not the only ones who do it. But we just noticed because they attacked us. Just the other day, they wrote a piece called Why Whale Deaths Are Dividing Environmentalists and Firing Up Tucker Carlson. 
as if you have to be some kind of right winger to care about the unexplained deaths of the biggest mammals on Earth. Lots of whales die. It's fair to ask why. But shut up, says Politico. We have no idea why a dozen whales just turned up dead on the beaches of New Jersey. Does it have anything to do with the construction of wind turbines off the coast? That's speculation, Politico reports. Probably climate change. So the story was ridiculous, but what we didn't get at first was that Politico was paid to run it. Politico is taking a lot of money from the corporations who manufacture and profit from commercial wind turbines. Politico has been running this ad on behalf of the Danish wind power company Orsted. It appears on Politico's website. It looks like a news article, but it's not. No, it's an ad. You wouldn't know. You're not supposed to know. It's supposed to fool you. Here's the headline. Offshore wind, the green energy panacea with some hurdles. Oh, what? Just a few. Like killing all the whales. No problem. Just a little hurdle. That's how the fake article begins. Quote, the EU will have to dramatically boost its production of renewable energy to meet its Green Deal targets. Enter offshore wind. <laughs> That's the news story on Politico. They're prostitutes. And they're not even ashamed. So we reached out to them today and asked, well, why didn't you disclose the fact that you're a hooker? Sorry, that you're taking money from offshore wind turbine manufacturers in your article about offshore wind turbines. <laughs> they don't want to answer that question. Oh, shut up. Well, Chicago, truly a disaster. Truly, people fleeing because crime is so high, it's like not even America anymore. Lori Lightfoot is still the mayor of that city. How is she responding? Well, she's dancing in the streets. Literally, we've got the video up now. Okay, that's going to do it for tonight. Take care. Oh, PottyBot says he likes the basketball. It's a mixture of normies, yuppies, tweakers, Mexicans, and hippies up here on the Russian River. That's it. Bye-bye.